minutes here and i wanted to talk to you guys about a couple things um so this is a this is a kazoo uh we talked a little bit about like doing the theme right yeah and i was like well this is this is kind of in the realm of stupid that we are <laughs> what's the stupidest theme that i could think of and it's kazoos right like i was like we should have like an award theme based on kazooing um, and I, I bought a bunch of different kazoos, like all these plastic ones, and then I like shortened them to different lengths to see if it did a difference. Because I'm like, oh, it makes one sound, which is buzzing. Yeah, it's you, uh, you're basically just humming notes yeah. into it, and it comes across as distortion. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I wanted to like fix the kazoo or improve it. It doesn't need fixed. So I, I got like an, an aluminum one, and then I was thinking they have a wooden one, and I found this page. It was like the national appreciators of kazoos or something like that it's a very like niche website <laughs> but please like, go on it, it was like very dedicated kazooers i don't know what they call themselves um there's even a list of like kazooites because kazooians <laughs> but they they had like well-known kazooists uh and then they had them separated by like living and dead oh wow um, they have like a, a like a, a living <laughs> in memoriam yeah, of dead yeah. kazooers um and i went i was like pfft what can you do with the fucking is anybody can do a kazoo like if you're good at a kazoo you're fucking good at a kazoo <laughs> and i i i was like well i gotta work mm, i gotta practice uh so if, if you guys want to join me we got a couple minutes before we actually need to start the, the show <laughs> what we should kazoo first of all um you're gonna want to flip that around but this, is this end yeah oh i thought yeah. it was this little end I'm it no. Oh, that's better. You're right. <laughs> well, how, how does one kazoo a kazoo? Is this like hum? Yes. Hum, yeah. There oh, you go. Wow. Yeah. This wow. this is awful radio, but um, here, here's the nice shiny kazoo. <laughs> this here's is this is Jack's head. pipe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it straight up looks. Oh, whoops, wrong, wrong kazoo. <laughs> so, Steve, since you're the guest, uh, what would you like to kazoo? <laughs> I was uh, not a big responsibility. For this. I was throwing you the hard ones right off the bat. I mean, I feel like we have to like the Imperial March or something. <laughs> so okay. What, yeah, we can what, do that. what are we not going to get copyrights for? for? Oh yeah, no, I mean, legally dissimilar um, Imperial March. This is spoof. This is spoof. We can make humans first. We do something that's old enough. No, I wouldn't do the Imperial March. If they find us <laughs> and sue us, that will just give us a reason to be like, look at us. <laughs> All right, yeah, go ahead and start us off. <laughs> So now that we've gotten the serious business out of the way, uh, I wanted to talk to you about religion. <laughs> Let's just go and collect those now, huh? <laughs> no, you, I trust you. <laughs> I deserve this. Mm, yeah. Too much of a clap. Juicy. Uh, welcome to Drazzled, the podcast that takes award-winning worst films and fixes them. I'm host Jack Attaboy McCulbertson, and here to suffer alongside me is stinky old regular guest Joe OK Boy McNeilis, and fresh as the day is long, Steve Greatboy. 
McLuciano. Hi, Steve. Hi, I deserve Joe. this. <laughs> I mean, I see how it is. I slap myself in the face on the stream, but and you know, and this is what I get. It wasn't moist enough. It, it wasn't. I'll give you that. All the movies on Derazzled won worst picture at the Razzies the day uh, the day they were released. The year it was released <laughs> immediately. <laughs> the second <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> Uh, the Razzies, for those who don't know, are something of a reverse Oscars. They recognize the worst films of the year, with 43 remaining films to pick from. I've made wild assumptions about Steve's character and suggested we watch Battlefield Earth. Steve! Do you think I chose appropriately? Oh, you absolutely did. Uh, <laughs> so we get to talk about the beautiful, wondrous, amazing film that was Battlefield Earth, and we're not going to change anything. Right. No, uh, we're just going to tilt it more. Okay. The Dutch angles didn't go far enough. Interesting. Like, if everything okay. can just kind of be shot sideways. Oh, dear God. <laughs> uh, so how did... You know, John Travolta's performance suddenly seems a bit more down to earth this way. Battlefield. Down to Battlefield. Yeah, it was right there. Um, how, how did you first... How did Battlefield Earth first touch you? Uh, so it came out in, what, 2000? 2000. 2000. So... I think I heard the buzz about it as, you know, a, a 11, 12-year-old boy interested in science fiction. Good like, buzz? Yeah. I mean, moderate buzz. Like, I didn't know about Scientology. I didn't know who L. Ron Hubbard yeah. was. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I was just like, oh, there's a cool science fiction movie. Oh, that yeah. John Travolta guy is in it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's... he's he did some Pulp Fictioning. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Right, yeah, same. But, um, yeah, it was just like, oh, cool science fiction how, movies about aliens. How old would you have been in 2000? You're 2000? Uh, 12. Yeah, you probably don't need to see, like, Gimp Mask Pulp Fiction at the age of 12. It's a little early. Yeah. yeah. I'm, do you see how I'm subtly trying to change this into a Pulp Fiction episode? Yeah. What were the implications of Scientology on Pulp Fiction? The reason that Battlefield Earth got made at all was because John Travolta had the clout of Pulp Fiction. Not not just the fact that he was Scientology's golden boy? No, no, he'd been trying to make the film since since he joined in oh. like 1975. The book came out in, what, 82? So, yeah, yeah so, so no, I guess not in 75, but like as soon as he joined up and Elrond's like, Here's my, I don't, I haven't listened to the man in a while. Here's my book. <laughs> Travolta's like, I want to be that Barry Pepper. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess he... Yeah, yeah no, I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead, but uh, he originally wanted to make the film so that he could be Johnny Goodbye, Good Boy... Tyler, who later in the book comes becomes Mick Tyler, because the Scottish are really, really cool. El Elrond's got a bit of a thing for the Scots, for whatever reason. Is he Scottish? Do we know? I don't know. I mean, you know, this, there's that mystique about them. Like, know. nothing against the Scots. Like, I'm part Scottish, but also, like, he really hits the Scottish hard. He's just like, oh, great. Uh, who knows? But yeah, he'd been trying to make the movie for so long that by the time it, he made Pulp Fiction and people give a shit about him again, he was too old. So he's like, I guess I'll be Turl and really crush it. Just really act as hard as I can. Right, which makes you wonder what his Johnny would have been like. Like, would he have gone as fucking weird with Johnny as he did with Turl? I don't know. I don't think he could have. I mean, like, yeah, like, Greece era John Travolta as Johnny Goodboy Tyler, yeah. Hmm. Well, like, I'm, th so, like, uh, I think Pulp Fiction was 94, so I'm thinking John Travolta 94, like which, like, Vince he, Vega. to me, he's not even that, he doesn't even look that old to me. Like, no. Barry Pepper and John Travolta, at least in Pulp Fiction, look about the same age to me. I don't know why he was like, no, I'm too old. I shall be the carbango slamming turl. That six years just uh, did a number on him, apparently. <laughs> yes. Uh, my my first exposure was, I also was kind of aware of it, 
but only like post realization that it's awful. I vaguely remember seeing commercials for it, like just like mm-hmm. t- like random TV spots, but not like not hearing about it for years after the fact uh, until I was seeing jokes made about how bad it was. I really didn't think about it again. Like it came out, and I didn't think about it again until um, I'd heard like L. Ron Hubbard's name mentioned. He's like, he started a religion off of science fiction. I'm like, that's preposterous. You're being an asshole. Because um, I didn't look at the internet when I was a child. <laughs> um, actually, <laughs> this is my, my my friend Ashley Cloud. I remember like having this conversation walking down Hastings, which is a little like of a town and I don't know how we were talking about like L. Ron Hubbard and Battlefield Earth and she's like no it's like a religion like you're full of shit uh, and then the I think I told you guys this maybe during the live watch but the Stapleton Library where we went to school the prestigious IUP was having a, a sale and they were selling off like a bunch of like L. Ron Hubbard books and shit but also like DVDs and I was like a buck I'll listen to you L. Ron <laughs> And I did, and it was, I just was so mad, because it's not even him talking about his literature or Scientology, it's talking shit on psychology. Like, he fucking hates psychologists. Yeah. I was reading a little bit about that. Uh, before he had left the Navy, he had he had asked to receive uh, psychiatric treatment. Okay. And it was only after that that he really started to come down hard on, like, the sci- like psychology huh. is evil side of things. Interesting. I, or psychiatry is evil specifically, I think. I can't remember where I read this, but I so he he created the device that do you remember what's called the e-meter? the e meter? Yeah. yeah, um, he invented it. Um, it and he wanted it like introduced into the DSM, whatever they were on at that time. And everyone kind of like leaned their head heads back and laughed. And he's like, "Well, I'll do my own thing then. I'll make my own club," and he did. Sure did. He, he did. He was unfortunately very successful. It wasn't uh, a problem at all for anyone. <laughs> no one was ever harmed ever, ever again. We'll, we'll get to that. Elrond. I can't, I can't like, I, I, I just like, I don't know. We need to. It's, no, I, what is the, does anyone know what the L stands for? Lafayette. No shit. I sw- yep. Oh, it's kind of too cool. No, Elrond. Elrond. As in, like, the little main character. I was, <laughs> that's, see, I was even saying it, you couldn't hear. No. Like, you were making it better. Hugo, just like, obese Hugo Weaving, <laughs> oh, no. hasn't showered in, like, months on, like, in a jumpsuit, sunburnt because he's been on the ocean. Right. And just, oh, God. His know. hair's just, like, hard with sea, like, salt water. <laughs> Hugo Weaving and mix him with Henry Zabrowski. Jesus. <laughs> I kind of, I, I imagine Hugo Weaving is kind of being, like, post-human, where he doesn't shower, he doesn't need to. And the dirt just sloughs off right. of him. Yeah, he just thinks about not being dirty, and, and it happens. He casts prestidigitation. He, he does have constipation. <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to try to summarize this movie in three minutes or less. Good God, I'm going to try. The, the novel, the, uh, the, the novel's like, it's longer than It, for those who know the book It. Which is wild. Which is like, it's really, like, it's very long, but it's also very entertaining. It by Stephen King. But Battlefield Earth is lo- long as or longer and not as, at least not in my opinion, as interesting. I know you, you enjoyed. Okay, yeah. I, so I, I have better memories of it than I think it actually was because I started, <laughs> I literally didn't have time to read uh-huh. The Wikipedia summary, that's how long. Like, the Wikipedia yeah, summary of the novel is called out as being too detailed. Like, it's not. It's not unnecessarily detailed. No, it's just the book, book is that is long. It's just over-detailed. So There's, I remember I'm I had a lot of the book, it. but I think I, that's 
with the passage of time. Like Right, right. I made it a little over halfway. I didn't even get to the point where they'd really beaten the Cyclos. It was just... Spoilers. Oh, spoilers for, like... A book that you really shouldn't read. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Joe. We're going to do it. We're I'm going wa- to watch that clock. <clears throat> Battlefield Earth takes place in the far-off future of 3000. It should follow young man Johnny Goodbye, Goodboy Tyler, but instead focuses on alien overlords known as Cyclos, which are a race of John Travolta's on stilts with dreads and SS coats. We open on Johnny arriving home in his primitive tribe, only to discover his father has died. He chucks a hacky sack full of magic beans in slow motion before the clan parson tells some ghost stories about Cyclos. Johnny runs away with his pet horse, Windbreaker. It's Windsplitter, but I'm changing it to Windbreaker. He meets some wild boys who take him to the mall. You guys know I, read, I watched this twice, right? Yes, yeah. I do. Thank you uh, for your service. <laughs> two Cyclos find and chase Johnny and the wild boys, shooting them with croissant-shaped guns that don't fit their, their spirit Halloween costume hands. One wild boy is shot to death while running through the one place in the empty mall that has sheets of plate glass lined up like dominoes. This is a half-assed recreation of the shot of the 1982 classic Blade Runner and is unforgivable. <laughs> uh, they capture Johnny and friend, then take them to the factory city, which is under a dome, which is full of cyclo-tasty air gas that can they can breathe, but humans cannot. They give humans shoestrings to go uh, over their noses, which allow them to breathe. Meanwhile, Turl, the most John Travolta of the cyclos, Hangs out slash bullies his buddy Kerr, the least John Travolta's of the Cyclos. Turl gets news that he's staying on Earth because he fucked the senator's daughter. Uh, but that's okay because Kerr found a bunch of gold to mine. Without being able to return home, the gold's useless, but Turl wants that shit for reasons. Kerr wants it because uh, he has 99 problems and five of those are his wives. <laughs> Johnny gains respect of the other human prisoners when he uh, first murders a Cyclo with a croissant gun loaded with ping pong balls, then trousers a guy over some Vegemite. John Travolta harasses a bartender while slamming some carbango, which is a booze the same color as my pee after I've drank a five-hour energy drink. Meanwhile, Cyclo, presumably also drunk on carbango jack piss, crashes into a building, giving Johnny a chance to escape. He fails, but his chutzpah catches the eye of Turl, who needs a chutzpah-heavy human to lead the gold mining expedition. You see the gold is surrounded by uranium, which turns the Cyclo air supply into Pop Rocks, and you can't breathe Pop Rocks, so Turl is going to use humans who enjoy Pop Rocks. Uh, even though human uh, homo sapiens are already subjugated species, Turl feels he needs leverage over Johnny if he's going to get him to mine said gold. He releases Johnny and friends who dine on, on raw rats out of desperation. Turl assumes that's just how humans do things. Uh, after we see a throwaway character literally thrown away, a scene you can only watch in the longer theatrical cut because, yes, there are two versions of Battlefield Earth and we watch the longer of the two, uh, Johnny's put into a learning chair. There we see, there we narrowly dodge the racism present in the book with the help of the letter L. With his Clink-O instructor and the yellow swirling beam, Johnny learns trigonometry, mining, and the cyclo language. From there, a convoluted plot gets even more convoluted. Johnny learns to fly for reasons, and then, uh, and when presented with a chance to kill Turl, withholds in, hu- in hope of future genocide. Last page. Uh, led by Johnny, the humans break into Fort Knox instead of the, of mining the gold found by Turl. They also find a map in the Library of Cong- Congress that leads them to nukes. Several men also learn how to fly Harrier jets within a week with the use of the thousand-year-old flight simulator, which is okay because the Harrier jets are magic floating planes anyway, um, <laughs> who don't need no goddamn physics. In an uh, underdeveloped subplot, Kerr thinks he's got leverage on Turl, but it's Kerr who has leverage on Kerr. He reveals the decapitated head of the bartender, and Forrest Whitaker yet again proves he's too good for this movie with a subtle and excellent handling of terrible dialogue. 
Having watched the movie twice, I still don't know how we stumbled into the climax of the film, but Johnny leads a, a charge against the Cyclodome. There's a dogfight between the Harrier jets and Cyclo spacecrafts. The humans intend to blow a hole in the dome, releasing the tasty Cyclo air, effectively smothering their enemy. Two species enter. One species leaves. <laughs> Two species enter. One species leaves. <laughs> Johnny runs through a lobby uh, as automatic weapons send bits of wall flying in slow-mo, a shot the Matrix did a million times better just the year prior. Johnny confronts Turl. Uh, Robert the Fox, who I've forgotten to mention earlier, but he shows up and he's, I guess, Scottish, beams up to the cycloplanet with the nukes. Uh, Mickey sacrifices himself to blow a hole in the dome. Piece of cake. The nukes go off, blowing the planet, Cyclo, to smithereens, and thus making Johnny a war criminal, guilty of genocide on a global level. <laughs> Johnny tricks Turl into blowing off his arm. Uh, blowing uh, Turl blows his own arm off of his body because Johnny is crafty, which means the humans won. Uh, we cut the turtle locked in a cage within Fort Knox. In an attempt at irony, he's surrounded by the gold he wanted so badly. We tilt up to reveal that the filmmakers are stealing the warehouse shot from Raiders of the Lost Ark. The end. Whew. That was not... <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, that was five minutes, but uh, not still, bad. not bad. Uh, I do think you said uh, Kerr trick Kerr, or had leverage on Kerr at some point. I think you meant Turtle. Had yeah. leverage on Kerr. There was a lot of leverage who, going on. Who fucking cares? Right. Leverage, Joe. Leverage. Um, the lev leverage was the important word in that yeah. entire film. They say it a lot in the film, but they don't say it nearly as often as they do in the book. As you had it's, mentioned. God bless that narrator for, for, for getting through that. I think it's like a 42-hour audiobook. 45? Something what like that. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's stupid. Um, Lots of good drugs back in the 70s. Yes. So that, that was basically the movie, right? Did I miss anything important? No, that felt pretty good. I I wanted to add in the part with the weird, like, tongue, CGI tongue, but I oh. didn't remember the context of it, so oh, dear I left God. it out. Um, no, there's, you know, casual misogyny. Yeah, like, what you don't get from the summary is just how misogynistic and cringy the movie is. I don't on... think you mentioned, there are, like, two, two female, three counting the woman with the tongue yeah characters and i don't think you mentioned any of them no no well not, like yeah i mentioned them in the production part that we'll yeah, get to yeah. but the story they're not important yeah, no, not i mean all. i i don't yeah I, unfortunately you have no reason yeah in the book at least johnny has a character named chrissy that he's like she pretty and turl's like leverage i shall use her for leverage and that's it she's just a little sister but i can't remember what she's there for um so normally this is the part that we would do like factoids, like little history things, but I wanted to take this opportunity to hold those responsible. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, so that I, I narrowed it, there are many people that are responsible, um, but I narrowed it down to five. Uh, so the first one is, uh, I'm going to quote directly from a Vice article. Um, this is about, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name, Eli Samha. I'm going to say Eli Samhau was a hustler, a dry cleaner from Beirut who moved to Los Angeles the year Hubbard published Battlefield Earth. Quote, quote, within a quote, his second language was fuck. So he couldn't speak without motherfucking cocksucker two ball bitch. End quote, says Battlefield Earth's executive producer, Andrew Stevens. Uh, he so he was later sued um, for using the budget monies um, for the movie on stocks and shit, but, like, it didn't go well. He They were, like, German stocks. I don't know why that matters, but he said that, and then it, like, went tits up. Um, he got the 
fuck suit out of him. Yeah. Um. So like the it's already a one way ticket to a courtroom. Pretty tiny budget as far as like big summer blockbusters go was shrunk even further because of this guy's embezzling because, yeah, from German yeah. stocks. <laughs> yeah. So the the scriptwriter, the screenplay writer, had to rewrite the screenplay because he's like, we can't do this shit on this budget. <laughs> So thank you, Eli Sama Samaha. Uh, next, and this this does not do any like I think last podcast is like a five part series on Elrond, and I'm sure there's even something like that. Last, Four or five parts. Uh, behind the bastards hasn't. It's the whole podcast is like secretly about Elrond Hubbard. Pretty much. Um, Elrond Hubbard is the author of the book, and more importantly, grifter who created Scientology. Without yeah. his shitty book and the deluxe size cult, we wouldn't have this awful movie. Very true. Next up is John Travolta, who joined the Church of Scientology in 1975. As soon as the book was published, he wanted to make it into a movie. He was originally going to play Johnny. We talked about this a little bit at some point. But it took it took too long for him to find like a studio that was like, Scientology, huh? Terrible long book, huh? Amen. Uh, when did when did Lord of the Rings come out? The first one? Uh, in 2001. Okay. I think it would have been in production around yeah. the same time. Yeah. Like 99. 2000. So the studios must have just been like hungry for those long ass books, huh? <laughs> um. So, so he, he wanted to be John, John Travolta wanted to be Johnny, but it took for fucking ever. So he ended up being Turl. Um, but because he has like, Turl is a, a main character in the book, but as far as narrative goes, you don't really need him as much hmm. as Johnny. Like he's the antagonist. Sure. Um, so the, in the original script, Johnny was the protagonist and like took up the most screen time. But then John Travolta's like, but I shall be Turl now and I want more screen time. And they rewrote it to fit his ego. Um, which is fine, except for he then refused to be on set beyond a certain amount of hours. And he already had to be in the makeup chair for like three hours to do the makeup. But then he didn't want to be on set for too much longer after that. So... Cyclo-sized ego. <laughs> which, I don't know if you mentioned, did you mention that the cyclos are like nine feet tall? No, I don't think so. No. The, yeah, they're supposed to be gargantuan, right? I did say that they were on stilts with dreadlocks and SS coats. Yes. That sounds about right. Yeah, that, that track. <laughs> well, they're cheaper. They're cheaply made compared to SS coats. Anyway, I'd believe that. Yeah, they look like faux leather. Budget, man, budget. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they they spent the budget on German stocks. I don't know why, but I really want to believe that he thought he was buying German stocks and was just buying like a bunch of overstock of like old Kraftwerk albums. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what happened. So the the fourth person responsible for this mess is um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mispronounce his name, even though it's not that hard. Uh, David Miskovich. Um, so which like I was wondering, oh I was wondering God. if we were going to get into Davy at all during this. We have to because of what he did during production. Oh, hit me yeah. with this. Yeah. Um. So for those who don't know, you live a sheltered, blessed life. But you're better off. You're but better here off. We are to fuck up your but day here, with David Miscavige. Uh. So when Elron Hubbard, he didn't die. He was just done with his earthly form and left. He's waiting for us. His Thetan is in space handling, yes. you know, errands. <laughs> Yes, there. <laughs> Space milk and eggs. Ew. <laughs> uh, so David Miskovich took over as leader. So while Hubbard was a bad person who hated psychologists, uh, psych- psychologists, psychologists, psychologists. Psycho- oh, mm, yeah. Subtle, right? Douche. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he sucked. He was a bad person, but reports of abuse ballooned under Miscavige. Yes. Which is, is awful. I'm laughing because I don't know what... It's, it's just uncomfortable laughter, oh, folks. This is, yeah. How's your wife, David? How's your where, wife, David? Where is Shelly? Where's she been? Where's Shelly been? 
she is fine and alive. I think that's what, like, the press release was. Yeah, so supposedly she's, like, alive and in a cabin somewhere, and allegedly police have had contact with her, and she's been like, leave me alone, but, like, no one's been able to further verify that, Hmm. so who knows? The Church of Scientology, who has more money than uh, a Christian god, (laughs) uh, definitely didn't pay off those cops. No, no. Why would anyone do? Why would anyone do that? Um, so during filming of of Battlefield Earth, he sat in on the dailies, micromanaging the production. Um, uh, da- dailies, for those who don't know, are whatever was filmed that day. Yeah. Um, the producers, the executive producers, the directors, sometimes actors, um, will sit and watch the dailies to see like, oh, this was good, this was bad, we have to reshoot this, or like, haha, my ego. Um, David Miskovich sat in to make sure that whatever was being shot was matching up with the Church of Scientology's shit. Of course. Um, so like, he was pumped, right? Like he thought this movie was going to make everyone a gazillion, bazillion cyclo dollars. And everyone was going to like leave Christianity and go become a a Scientologist. And then day one, the review came out and he's like that. Do I have a quote? He definitely calls John Travolta, oh, a traitorous cocksucker. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I was like, I'm taking that quote. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. That is. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he's like, he's a traitorous cocksucker and blamed like the entire movie on him. He's like, he's not even a real Scientologist because he took pay for this movie, which I think since he's a guilty would have had to anyway, but whatever. And uh, supposedly, so I watched this interview with the former second in command of Scientology mm-hmm. and that's where this information comes from so like I'm I'm leaning towards believing him sprinkle some grains of salt but there's some there's some salt that's on fair. there yeah um, a little salt on that rim yes that rim of the great pan of Carbango yes <laughs> uh, Carbango I guess I didn't mention that in the no I did you mentioned it yeah it's you made that whole allusion to your piss. You it looks like my piss. <laughs> just, <laughs> it, and now I know you, what Jack's piss looks like. Only after five-hour energy. It's, it's kind of like r- r- irradiated. to specifically drink a five-hour mm-hmm. energy and then go to a doctor. <laughs> just <laughs> I feel funny. Uh, it's worse with Rockstar, but I don't, we don't need to get into that. Here. I mean, that no, that's just Rockstar. Oh, that, okay. I'm pretty sure it's this is like in the fine print on the side of that can. is at least 50% piss. <laughs> <laughs> also on the side of the can it's in the ingredients list the like, FDA makes them put it there Guarana uh, ammonia piss <laughs> ammonia <laughs> yeah. Jesus no that's already in but the you, piss you, you oh, oh right no you gotta sanitize the piss you know? oh there we go okay Jesus Jesus um, fucking Christ <laughs> one other note on Miskovich uh, apparently again this is a little salt uh, but apparently after they all s- saw the first reviews, uh, Tom Cruise, the more important John Travolta, the the uh, the, the golden boy, the golden boy was like, went up to Miskovich and was just like pissed. Like, what did John do? Referring to John Travolta. It's like, what did John do? And Miskovich was like, he's a traitorous cocksucker. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. So oh, he was on their shit list for a little while. I mean, he's still a Scientologist, I believe. So I think must not he, have been that. Bad. I think he is still in the church. I don't know if he's like thoroughly involved with things. No, I don't think so. And I don't think he's made a movie of note in a minute. Not that I think I don't. Um, I should mention. Like, I don't think he's a terrible actor. No, I actually like um, a lot of John Travolta's stuff. Like he he's he's a pretty solid yeah. actor. Uh, I didn't hate him in Hairspray. I didn't see that. I saw the original. What he's done in it. Yeah. I mean, he's no divine, but <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah. The last, the last person to blame, and like, 
is us. Is us for reminding you that this movie exists. Um, so last person is the director, Roger Christian, um, who like on this list of awful human beings is the only person I would not be scared to be in the room with alone. Like, he just yeah. seems like a guy who fucked up. <laughs> I believe that. Like, he was not the man for the job, but then again, like, no one was, but he really didn't make things better because it, it was his idea to make the movie look like a comic book. Was he, like, a Scientology student? No, or? not at all. Okay. Um, oh, he was an outside influence, really? He he was hired because he worked on science fiction stuff uh, before. Okay. So he was, like, um. do you, do you know what, like, a, a second director uh, is? Or not second director, um... Um, there's a term for the person that shoots like basically all the um, the extra footage, like second the exter- second. Thank you. Yeah, second unit director. Nice, F for Jack, failed filmmaker. Um, yeah, he was he was a second unit director on like S- Star Wars films. Oh hell um, yeah, yeah. So you like I would look at this guy like oh yeah he did like he knows science fiction knows probably like some CGI shit. He got all them desert shots for, got for all- episode one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, there's some other ones too, but I can't remember, but he was the ones like, let's make this. It's like a comic book. And I'm like, that's, you've never read one of those. Have you, bud? He has to say, like, you said that and all I can, I'll, wait, is that why there are so many Dutch angles? That's exactly th- why there's so many Dutch angles. Is he thinking that like Dutch angle equals mm-hmm. like comic book framing? That is exactly why. In fact, the, the second unit director on this film didn't shoot at a Dutch angle oh, and got no. in trouble. <laughs> oh, you got yelled at yeah. for it? Yeah. Oh, damn. They're like, um... For those, for those listening, the Dutch angle is any angle that's not basically off of 90 degrees, off of yeah. flat level, yes? Um, yes. If you're looking for, like, a well-known example, think the 1966 Batman? Is it 66? I can't remember. But the, the Adam West Batman, they were all, there was, like, a bunch of uh, Dutch tilts or Dutch angles, was, especially in the fight scenes. I was, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, boys... <laughs> Thus, that brings us to the end of Act One. Um, how we how we feeling? Uh, I feel like I learned something I, more yeah. than I uh, than I had. Um, I'm honestly like learning some of that stuff. I'm surprised that uh, Miskovich didn't try to just take over the director's chair at some point. Like, I kind of wonder if Roger Christian was more of a puppet. Well, Alan Smithy. Yeah. Going on. Yeah, I think so. He like knew how to work a film set, but Miskovich was like, no, 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 more tilt. <laughs> yeah. The Scientology yeah. To, yeah. To yeah. I well, like what I wanted to do when I was going when we went into this was I I wanted to figure out like what what happened because kind of like when we did Wild Wild West there are some things that were unavoidable right there yeah reading over because I I just touched on a little bit of the production this is this would never have been a good movie <laughs> no and if the, the five people I just mentioned if they were involved in any way it would not have worked. And since it was written by Alron, Lucrezia, Ronald. Don't you drag my cat into this. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I think your cat could be the head of a cult. I think Lou could be the head of a cult at some point. Oh, she already is. (laughs) I would not be surprised. That's my chief worry of having now moved in Uh and have her having her in a place with other cats. She's just Mm -hmm. going... She's, she's going recruiting. to bend them. To, yeah, she's recruiting. Oh, God. I'm going to come home one day and there's just going to be 50 cats all like just bowed before her. But they're all wearing like the same like suit. It's all real cute. Like robes? Yeah, be, are they in robes or are they doing like suits? Robes? Um, wizard's hats. Ooh. Ooh. But not like 
Like the Sorcerer's Apprentice kind of yeah. kind Can of they all be yeah. wearing Mickey Mouse's like Fantasia outfit? Like little red robes and like little boobies? That's exactly the, it. It's, specific, it's specifically a, a cult of copyright infringement. <laughs> hey, parody is fair use. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so yes. we're going we're gonna to take a quick break for... Yes, what just happened was not a break. That was, that was not a break. Just, it's just stupid. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be back. Um, well, now I'm sad. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Durazzled. Uh We are going to jump straight into some stats. Let's do it. I mean, stats. Uh, so th- these are specifically Razzie stats. Yes. So yeah. what did it, what did it win? So it won worst picture uh, for the twentieth Golden Razzies. Um, the only nomination that they were nominated for but didn't win was worst supporting actor. Which is Forrest Whitaker as Kerr. I would have fought someone. <sighs> yeah, seriously. I he has better. He was better in that movie than he had any right to be. That he had any reason to he, be. He literally. He was just covered in the shit from other actors. But underneath that, he's still an excellent actor. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about him later. So here are the wins. Right. Worst actor John Travolta. Worst supporting actor Barry Pepper. Oh, I know. Barry. I know. Worst supporting actress Kelly Peterson or Pier- Pierston. Priestin? She was the tongue tongue girl. Tongue. Oh, really? Yeah. They they gave her the win for a scene where she just opened her mouth and something green screened a tongue into her face. That's not her fault. No. She didn't know what they were doing with that actually, tongue. Actually, based on what you said earlier, isn't that specifically David Miscavige's fault? I'm blaming him, yes. Okay. Uh, worst on-screen couple is John Travolta and anybody else who shares a scene with John Travolta. Sure. Uh, worst director is Roger Christie. Worst screenplay is, you know, Battlefield Earth and everyone who touched it. <laughs> now for some scores. The general Rotten Tomatoes score is, would you like to take a guess? What was Wild Wild? No, that's not, Wild Wild West is like a decent movie. I, I, I forget what it was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three. You're right. Yeah, it's three percent. Oh, yeah. Now you're right on the money. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now the audience score, uh, the general score tends to be lower. Yeah. The audience score is a little higher because audiences. Um, Seven. Eleven. Twelve. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then IMDb, my old old buddy IMDb. I feel like I looked at 10. this at some points. It's out of ten, you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three point two? Two point seven. Two point five. Damn it. Two point ah, yeah. seven was my yeah. gut answer, and then I second guessed myself. Of course, of course. So <laughs> based on what we've talked about so far, do you fellas think that it earned that those scores and those awards yeah 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 <laughs> like three is a really bad score for a movie and i saw that before we started watching it but then i watched it and like oh yeah this is definitely a three percent movie um yeah i think i think that's absolutely warranted great so what worked forrest whitaker so we're starting with cast forrest whitaker Sorry, yeah, I just, I, I that was <laughs> no, waiting no. to say I, that. <laughs> you're right, like, he's good. He's so good! Yeah, he has, like, he's like a real living being. He's not, you know, yeah. like, he, he, he has emotions, he has, like, Did, connections, he's believable. Like, I haven't watched a whole lot of Forrest Whitaker, but that movie made me want to watch more of him. Yeah, 100%. Like, if, to have that kind of a performance in such a shit movie... To have like, be like, oh, I want I want to actively explore more of this guy's work. Yeah, that's I, an accomplishment. 
it's hard to take that dialogue that goo like if it was just like a, a, a set in a modern day kind of a drama and the dialogue was crappy you, you can still get through that but like science fiction dialogue is hard to sell as is let alone poorly written science fiction dialogue and he had no problem none it was it's it came off as effortless it's yeah wild yeah who else <laughs> anyone else <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's not Barry Pepper's fault. It's not Barry Pepper's fault. I don't fault. think but it's Barry he, Pepper's fault. You know, he did not, you know. I said I like Barry Pepper's face. It's got some very nice high cheekbones. Yes. True. And yes. he does run really well in slow motion. I uh, will give him that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the guy, um, the guy who's in um, uh, Sins of Anarchy. He was... Which one? Do you know which one oh, he was? Oh, yeah. I remember we, you pointed that out while we were yeah, watching it. Um, um, he was Tig. Uh, yeah. Um, he was okay. Is he a piece of cake or is he... I think he was piece of cake, he was wasn't piece he? Of cake. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I wanted to explain that in the summary, but I don't know. I don't understand where it came from. But it's just something that the the not Scots in the in the in the film they change the Scots just to like rowdy nature fellas. Generic yeah, barbarians. Yeah, and the, one of the things they say when they get excited is piece of cake, 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 and like that. Yeah, it's I could dance to that. For the like, if if that character and that actor were in like Escape from New York, I'd be like, oh yeah, it was great. Or even like Demolition Man, I could see him. Ooh, yeah. But this movie, I'm like, nah, sorry, sorry, piece of cake. What worked for the for you as far as the story goes? <laughs> I mean, I like I think the general premise of like man is an endangered species, which was the tagline of the movie, if I am not mistaken. It was, yes. Uh, it was like the like, tagline. It wasn't like the first thing they say. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was both the tagline and like in digital text within the opening <laughs> yeah. moments of the film. And then I think it was actually like like I think John Travolta said it, like at some point early on. Like I they think hit you're right. Hard, but I think like the premise is really cool of like aliens take over Earth. Humans survive on the fringe because of uranium. Yeah. Now you got to do the over. Like it's it's a great story. Like I, I like I would play that as a D and D campaign. Oh hell yeah! Or like some kind of tabletop. Oh that'd be fun as hell. Yeah. As like an it sounds the setup sounds like an episode of the original Twilight Zone, mm. which I would be down to yeah. see that forty minute episode. Um, and, there's, and, a, there's a key parameter yes, yeah. there. there. But like we, you, yeah, avoiding cyclos like. As long as you avoid the, like, weird anti-psychiatrist <laughs> business. Like, the, you, you can keep your carbango. I think you have to keep the carbango. Fact, give me your carbango. I yes. will drink your delicious, delicious, great times <laughs> of carbango. Because they drink it. In the book, they say, like, pans of carbango. In the movie, it looks like somebody took, what's the, like, glass beaker Roland thing? I think so. And then they, like, stretched the neck and then gave it a little, like, boop, a bowl at the top. Yeah. Yeah. But with, like, Mountain Dew energy drink. And piss. So there's this thing that happens when you mix Mountain Dew and Mountain Dew Baja Blast. Oh, yeah? It makes it look almost luminous. <laughs> it kind of reminded okay. me of that. A kid okay. I played D&D with in high school did that once at a Taco Bell. Absolute madman. I love it. Why, why have I never done that? That sounds... Un- yeah, why? Is, is, that, is that man working for NASA now, Joe? No, I don't think so. Tim, if you're watching, what's up? Send us some Carbango. <laughs> Uh, for me, what worked about the story is that it's shorter than the book. Yeah, um, yeah, that seems like that helps. Yeah, I would like I would be interested in like a mini series or like a series. Like, I feel like you could get a couple of good seasons out of. 
what I would like. I mean, where you're actually able to like plot things out yeah. and pace things reasonably and develop things and have good relationships and so did, on and so forth. Yeah, that did, could be feasible. Did either of you ever watch the made for TV series of The Stand? It's no. it's like three, four hours long. Mm-hmm. And I think they showed it over two or three days. Yeah, I did. Not it, get it was a like, to watch like mid 90s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. That is what like specifically I want this made early 90s, like a four hour miniseries yeah, yeah. with like. Not A-list actors. No. But not Z-list, but like B-C area. Where yeah. Like, oh, like I know Barry that. Like Barry Pepper. Like, Bar- like Barry Pepper I would keep. Yeah. And keep in that Pepper iteration. That. Yeah. That's, I, that could fit. It'd be on like CBS and like it's, it would now currently be in the like $5 bin at Walmart. Absolutely. And I would watch it and I would be filled with nostalgia. How many VHSs would it take? Ooh. What's that? I think, I think it would be four. Like four episodes for, you know. Four That's what the stand was, right? I have it on Blu-ray and it's two discs. <laughs> or no, oh, not, sorry, not, sorry, I'm in DVD. DVD. Oh, it's <laughs> two Blu-rays. Jesus. Holy shit. It's long. Well, the, the t- Titanic was two. I think it was. That was and, two VHSs. Yeah. yeah. How long is Titanic? Three, three hours. Okay. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So maybe like, th- so maybe three VHSs for. Okay. Okay. I can buy that. Sorry. Rent. <laughs> I'd rent that. <laughs> I like the fight in the mall. I did. The first one? The first one. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was like, this is kind of ridiculous, but... Yeah, that scene actually wasn't bad. The like, mall that... was actually a library, yes. No, no the library no. was later. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, the first time we meet a physical cyclo. Right, okay. Nope. When they run through the plate glass. Yeah. Which is still unforgivable, but, like, that one part, excluding that one part, like, the them, like, it's a bunch of dudes, and they don't know each other, and they're sharing, like, stories over a fire in a mall, which sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that um, scene wasn't probably bad. Doing about half the malls in the right. currently yeah. set, set a random fire and um, Century Three <laughs> Chevrolet. We could probably go to a Taco Bell out near there, make us some Carbango, and go hang out in a mall and run a fire. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I've never been there, but do they have those little like planters in the middle of of like the walkway? There's got to like, be some yeah. areas where there's stuff like that. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure they're very empty now. Um, I know the Indiana Mall. Had those, yes, they like absolutely did. Oh, planters and fountains, yeah. I can still hear the fountains in my head now. This is our gen. This is this is the most millennial thing that I can think of doing is like having nostalgia about like the mall. I I literally, I think this might be the key to me like figuring out meditation. I I shit you not. (laughs) Oh my god, thinking about the sound of the fountains at the Indiana Mall, and I'm like, I'm in, like, I'm ready to meditate. It's gotten to a flow state. Uh, the other was, day, I was so like the I forget the, the what the mall was that I had growing up. I was like, "Hey, Belinda, do you did you ever see a bubblegum machine that was actually like a chicken? Like, there's a chicken in the middle, and you put a quarter in, and the chicken was spinning like, and then the egg would come out. Yeah, I had Fred Flintstone. It was Fred Flintstone in the middle. And he'd go yeah, like three times, and then the egg would come out, and you'd get like. It was like what all the other bubblegum machines, it's like their leftovers, like miscellaneous toys. And she looked at me like I was insane. Sorry, well, the Fred Flint, the Fred Flintstone mm-hmm. still laid an egg? Yeah. Well, it, an egg came out. I might have been like crossing streams, but. Is this like a fly situation? Like Fred Flintstone <laughs> and a chicken get stuck in a teleporter I, and then. stole it from Dino. No. I assumed it oh, was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I assumed it was like a dino egg. I didn't think that like Fred was. Part chicken. Maybe that's the secret to the show that we've been missing this entire time. Maybe that's the missing link. We were part chicken. Maybe that's why John Goodman didn't come back for the other movie. <laughs> He's like, I'm not shitting any eggs, guys. 
Jesus Christ, we are so far off topic. Um, <laughs> this is how little we want to talk about this fucking movie. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the fountain in my head. I'm good. Yeah, I can like kind of hear it and like the plink of pennies. Yep. Can we make that podcast? It's just an. It's like 90 minutes of mall fountain with the occasional <laughs> plink. You hear some food court noises right. in the background. Oh, we'll, get our, we'll get some room tone before we set our fire in the Perfect. <laughs> God, I want some, like, mall chicken teriyaki. Anyway, um, I I actually liked the dynamic, like, the relationship dynamic between Kerr and Turl. Yeah, just, like, mentor, rival. Yeah. And, and, and their personalities, like, John Travolta was too much, obviously. But oh, my God, yeah. His extreme made force whitaker's subtlety work all the all the more yeah i think there's something to that like having having that juxtaposition of like oh you're completely off like off the rails on like off like out of this reality with what you're doing and then forrest whitaker is just killing it yeah and and then the last thing i like as far as story goes is i i actually like the scene where johnny beats the living shit out of a guy in some like vegemite vegemite not the fight itself, but that he's like, we don't need to fight over the poop. We can all eat the poop. Did the food have to be like? It was. Mm, how, is it described that way in the book as being I like this really like, no, no. post Taco Bell like? Because in the book, refuse. <laughs> in the book, the cycles haven't really interacted with humans at all. Cur- so, Turl's the first one that interacts yeah, with a human. So Turl, uh, so this is a fun, a fun anecdote that I, I enjoy. Is okay. So Turl is trying to like Johnny Goodbow Tyler won't eat, and Turl needs to figure out what he eats. So he lets him think that he escaped. He lets Johnny think he escaped. So Johnny runs away, needs to find food, and the first thing he finds is a rat. And so he's like, "Well, shit, I'm going to eat this goddamn rat." So he yeah. kills a rat and eats it raw. Mm-hmm. And then ah, yes. Turl's like, "Oh yes, the human loves." Raw rat, I must shoot, shoot and give him raw rat. <laughs> Which they kind of do in the movie, but it doesn't read quite as well. No. But yeah, I like that part too. So no, there's no like kind of soft poop in the movie. I'm glad we got <laughs> these these pop filters so I can keep saying that. poop. Um, poop. <laughs> so I'll just take a moment to enjoy saying poop into our poppycock. Pop filters. So it poop. actually means soft dung in poop. Poppycock. Really? Or that's the origin. Huh. Oh shit! Um, the, the the scene, aside from being disgusting and ridiculous, kind of sets Johnny up to be like a leader of the people, which is what you need. They just didn't carry th- or follow through. Sure. And then I have so like let's move on to themes. What what worked for themes? I have one. Do either of you have any themes that you liked in the movie? Okay, you kind of talked about it a little bit when you're saying like human is uh, man is going extinct. Yeah. For me. And I, I only caught this upon the second watching, but the Wild Boys at the beginning, they think that the statues within the city are people who angered the gods and then were turned into statues. I dig that. Which I dig, even on like just surface level, but like thinking about who the who the statues are typically made of, you know, like our politicians or war heroes, and imagining that those were the people that angered the gods... Kind of gave me that a little, is like... kind of a wild idea. Accidental meta-commentary. Yeah. yeah. I'm probably thinking, like, reading way too much into it, but uh, I like that anyway. Yeah, I don't know. There's, you know, the whole, like, you know, sort of boomerang... Fool's boomerang? I don't know. But, like, the idea of, like, the cyclos sow the seeds of their own destruction. Like, mm-hmm. they teach 
men how to do this thing and then men just shows them it's very like yeah appropriate yeah i don't know i've got i've got another shocked pikachu meme here again this movie even picking out the good bits it never had a chance of being good let's talk about what didn't work any any anything anyone anyone cinematography we'll uh, we'll start with characters and cast first since we start, yeah, Any, we start with Whitaker so for what works. So yeah, I think if we just start with John Travolta, who's going to jump right in. Would you like to explain? So I do not doubt that there is a there is a, a universe where John Travolta actually plays this role with some aplomb. He actually like manages to capture the gravity of what this character is supposed to represent. He the entire time just feels unhinged, just. The over-the-top delivery, the voice that he puts on half the time, yeah. the strange emphasis at different points is... He's trying very hard yes. to be an alien and yes. succeeding, <laughs> I think. Uh, too, I mean, in that, like, he's alien, but not good alien, like bad alien. Like, Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Like, yes. I think that's a good way to put it. I would have been interested to see same performance, but with more... A face makeup so like the the higher name actor you are in the film the less makeup you have to wear right because you can clearly see that 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 this side this cyclo is john travolta yeah like you can tell they did not keep him in the uh the makeup chair nearly as long as some of the unnamed cyclos. John Travolta with threads and like a, sh- a shoelace over his nose yeah that's <laughs> yeah. yeah whereas the non the extras essentially they get like a large like bulbous almost like a cone head that like tipped backwards a little bit yeah you've almost got like a combination like cone head klingon thing mm-hmm. going on yeah. a little bit of like almost like a navi like bestial liony face kind yeah of thing. which so like there is an image that they made for the book it looks nothing like the movie at all. It actually kind of looks kind of, it's cool. Like it, I don't know how you would do it with the budget they had, but it's, it's very furry. It's huge, big eyes. Where's a mask? Like the entire time. I, I always envisioned them kind of like a Saiyan from Dragon Ball Z, like, like a big, just like a big yeah. ape with like a muzzle. Like okay. that's, that's what I always, I think, envisioned. In the book, they're described as having fur and they're described mm. as having like, jaw bones and like yeah, eye bones eye, eye like bones was just plates. weird yeah i think it's kind of effective in that like they're not uh-huh. always fully described but the problem with that is then you get john travolta right uh so i, I listened to the audiobook and the narrator they had a, it was a mixed cast version um the guy who does turl's voice it, he reads it very barbarian okay which it was fine it was certainly different than travolta's as far as cast goes, he's the only one that I really feel is like, oh, you really, you stood out as real bad. There's not, there's really not a whole lot of big characters in it. There aren't. No, like outside of uh, Turtle, Turtle Kerr, Johnny, mm-hmm. yeah, like that's yeah, like everyone but the, else. What about Chrissy? You remember Chrissy? She was, the, she was. The... <laughs> Johnny, Johnny's love interest. But yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah, fair. I think there's like one scene where she hints like. Hey, if we survive this, you want to make some babies? Yeah, I think they they uh, they they allude to yeah. future fucking down the road for him. Yeah, but, uh, and Johnny's like, yeah, they don't even feel like they're really interested in it. They're just like, oh, we are the romantic couple, so we yeah. shall have this so conversation. Procreation? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they got time got on time, Thursday. I guess. Like, I don't know. Like we'll Thursday sync up our dinner. Google calendars, okay. and it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> like we all haven't had conversations <laughs> like that. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> so themes, huh? What didn't work as far as themes go? <laughs> like what is it? There's no cohesive thing? theme. It it's, seems it's, it's like just... an office intrigue with like an alien end of the world thing. Like the whole cur like cur churl inter office intrigue plot is just like what? Why? No. Like give me more. You know, yeah. either like focus just on that. Yeah. Which I think actually would be pretty cool. An alien movie, like an alien, like office. Intrigue. Holy shit! Like that would be pretty cool. I'm certain. What's the what's the station that has Star Trek? CBS. I think it's CBS, CBS. these days. Yeah. They have yeah. like a bunch of different Star Treks. We could easily pitch like it's it's Star Trek, but like The Office. Isn't that what what's his face? Oh, uh, Seth McFarlane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but we but, would do is it. That, uh, what the Orville? Yeah, but we we would have John Travolta. <laughs> if we could actually get Forrest Whitaker, holy oh my shit. god! If we brought the entire cast of Battlefield Earth back, but never said a word about it, do you think people would get it? Do you think they'd catch oh, on? Be, like, never actually have anything no. in the promotional materials Mm-mm. or have anyone in any interviews no. mention Battlefield Earth at all. Nope. But then, whenever you get down to it and you actually look at the world, mm-hmm. like it is Battlefield. Earth. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Gold. Who gives a fuck about gold? Yeah, it was never entirely clear to me like why gold was like so important to uh, to, to Turl. Gold's gold. I mean, I don't know. I get it. Shiny rock. Yeah, I get it. A cool moment. I think was from the book where like the Cyclos found yeah Voyager. You know where we sent out a. Shh, I'll bring that up later. But yes, no, you're right. It's in the book that they find Voyager and they're like, huh, gold. Where'd this come from? Oh, Earth? There's a map? Sweet. Oh, see, that makes a lot more mm-hmm. sense. That... It does, but also, I, I guess I don't understand. Maybe maybe this is just me on a global level, not even just like this movie. Like, why do we give a shit about gold? But that's just me. Because it's rare. It, I don't care. But it's <laughs> it's right. rare and it's pretty. That's literally why we care I know. about gold. It's rare. Yeah. It represents <sighs> value. It's conductive, also, which is great. It is that. Like, yeah. also, it's a good conductor. But... Well... Scratch Sorry. that one. <laughs> you want to you want to defend genocide next? I'm gonna go to genocide. <laughs> I did not want nope. to defend genocide today, but <laughs> oh, no, Steve, no. Uh, <laughs> this podcast will win some places. Oof. Um, yeah. So Johnny fucking commits genocide like he global sure, he geno- really genocide does. he wipes out an entire planet of people basically again it, well if you were, oh god like, you're going for it yeah if you read the book uh-huh uh, like he goes into like to the how terrible the cyclos were uh-huh because so in the book like the cyclos all get destroyed about midway through yeah um so yeah i don't know no, i mean it's, yes it's like when you actually think about it it is in, in fact if it weren't for the character of Kerr, it probably wouldn't even have occurred to me, which is probably my bad. But so Johnny has an even closer relationship with Kerr in the book, which I, I really right. enjoyed. It wouldn't have fit in the movie, but Kerr is like the runt of the, the pack. Yeah, they make fun of him because he's short. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he sure does blow that planet up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And you it, know, you, you have to make choices as a species. Is it you? Destroy all the cyclos, or do you let humans go extinct? I mean, it's also one of those yeah. hypotheticals. Yeah, like, yeah. If, you know, I would get angry and refuse to answer if I were the one proposing. I think part of it's like my beef with certain science fiction. Like, oh, this entire race has this single personality oh. uh, trait that they all just—it's kind of like Star Wars syndrome. Like right. the forest yeah. planet, the ice planet. 
And this is like, these are the dickhead John Travolta planet. Lazy, lazy writing, except that again, in one of his, in the last second half of the book, Uh Alan goes a little bit into like why this species developed the way it did. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I didn't make it that far. Yeah. So like, yes, the way the movie treats it terribly. Like, like the book, like again, L. Ron Ron Hubbard is like, I think could be a good author. He just needs an editor. If he weren't being paid by the word... Bingo. Which, I, I don't know if he was for Battlefield Earth, but he had for his, like, pulp work. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he managed to, like, develop that way. I mean, that's a hard habit to break, I think, when you've gotten into yeah. writing in that style and that's how you're thinking about things. Because, like, the... Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. I'm sorry, we're not talking about the book. The movie... <laughs> uh, in the movie, uh-huh. Johnny Goodbye Tyler commits indefensible genocide. Yep. With uh, Robert, Robert the Fox. Who, like... The actor sheds this, like, single tear, and it's really good. I'm like, you're committing ju- suicide, but also, as a director, I respect your your performance right there. Yep. Actor who I've never seen since. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I added a little, instead of, um, I don't think I did this in the first part, but I added a section for production, because I don't think any of the production worked for me, but it, a lot of it didn't work. Um, specifically, the costumes looked like syndicated TV series bad. Yeah. Like, they're bad. Like, um, we, joke, like we joke about, like, sci-fi uh, made-for-TV specials and whatnot yeah. these days, but, like, it fe- this felt almost below that grade like, for a lot of them. I expected them to show up in Firefly, famous for recycling the Battlefield Earth. Or not Battlefield Earth. Uh, Starship Troopers. So thank you, sir. Yeah. There it is. Oh. Yeah, there's like, it's like a train heist, and the I forget what the the Imperial government is called in Firefly, but the soldiers are all wearing like Starship. Yeah, yeah that's like that. it. Um, production. Didn't like, the production. didn't like the costumes. Did we already talked about how the aliens are kind of like all one type generic? Yeah, we've we've hit the Dutch tilt numerous times. Mm-hmm. We hit the inconsistency with the makeup prosthetics. Yep. The only thing we didn't hit somehow is just how bad the CGI is. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, no, there are points where it's almost like once upon a time bad. And which, I think I said that for certain things in what in Wild Wild West yeah. as well. But like Keep in mind, this this is the year after the Matrix. Yeah. So like CGI, it's not like, oh well, CGI was bad in the back of the day. I'm like, No, this is this was the year after the Matrix. Even Wild Wild West, there's a cool CGI in that. Giant, giant mechanical spider. Giant mechanical but, spider so is great. I think it's, I think clearly it explains it is that yeah. this gentleman's embezzled their money and so they have no budget and now i'm feeling yeah. a little bit kinder knowing that that happened but also yeah like, that is a can, hell of a thing to deal you with can do, you know there's good practical effects like and at that yeah. point like i know now practical effects are probably more expensive than cgi but like back then right they probably yeah. could have done more stuff i remember watching oh, yeah. the director's commentary for serenity and joss whedon saying like this shot we had enough money in the budget to show this shot. They like show like the generator thing. Like, like we can only show it twice. We can only afford to show it twice, but we could like blow up and murder all the people we wanted to. No problem. And that was 2005, six, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. There are, you are presented with, again, with the people they had involved, it was not going to work. But if you had a competent, half competent team, and you're like, Hey, we lost half the budget we can't do the CGI shit. What are some workarounds as Firefly did? Like Firefly yeah. had vi- very few CGI things and the yeah. little bit they did, they were like, all right, we're just going to show that really quick and like back off. Uh, and the rest was like, let's keep it on interiors. Yeah. Which I definitely didn't steal for later. Um, <laughs> uh, also the sound effects were cheap. They, or they like bought like a group, like a, a collection of like sound effects. And there's like, 
laser sound, cricket sound, <laughs> like, ooh. I found a Casio at Goodwill. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Which, like, not bad for a Casio. Yeah. But the, the score was also really, it was not only bad and dis- uh, cheap, it was distracting. At times, yeah. Uh, for me, it was especially, like, the fight at the end. I'm like, oh, you just went, like, generic sci-fi fight. Mm-hmm. Story. What didn't work for you with the story? Ooh, buddy. Ooh, buddy. Yeah. Again, like, I think there's some broad beats that could have worked, but the cyclos are just so comically, cartoonishly yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. The, like, goals of, like, we have to save humanity versus, like, I gotta make some money from from Kurt. Yeah. Like they're just yeah. at an angle, and they don't they don't meet up to me. I also had trouble kind of understanding all the various plots that are going on. Even reading the book, like it made a little bit more sense because I had the book as context. But even in the book, I'm like, wait, why are they doing this? Uh, it doesn't help that to me the characters were for honestly Kerr. Even in the book, Kerr was the most interesting one to me. Johnny wasn't terribly interesting. Turl had his moments. I mean, you'd hope so as the villain. Yeah, but Johnny's just like Johnny, good boy, good generic. Good generic, generic I feel like if you're gonna name your character something like that, you gotta make him. You gotta make him great. Like you gotta really knock it out of the park with this character. Like the first couple chapters into the book, it was just like good old fun sci-fi. I'm like, oh, Johnny, good boy, Tyler. This is great. We have like big furry aliens with shark claws and like gas that's killing them off humans are in like the little tiny societies left over i'm like this is great typical like i would think like 60 70 sci-fi oh yeah and then it just kept going yep and going and going going and going going. (laughs) uh what happened to kerr i I didn't realize i was gonna get quizzed Uh, (laughs) um, honestly like he he ended up pretty okay in the book Right, but in the movie, I don't know that they cover. What I think to him. I, I think remember. they just completely lose track of him, don't they? Yeah, they only they zoom in, you know, like you said on on V-Trav's. Oh no, he does come back in that moment. Oh, does he? Kurt taunt, yeah, does Kurt taunt him? He Kurt oh, taunts yeah. him again. Yeah, that's right. That's it. I almost forgot oh, about that. Yeah, I think he I disappears just... for a weird stretch yeah. of time in between there, though, because you think that he's going to get killed after mm. like the reveal of the bartender's head. Yeah. And, and then Force Whitaker has this like really subtle moment where he's like, "I fucked up. I fucked up." I, that's not the exact line, but it's very close to and, it. And, the, like, the, and the, he sells it. Oh yeah, like, like, like the subtext of the line is absolutely I right. fucked, I fucked up. up. <laughs> and he, he yeah. nails it because yeah. he nails everything in this fucking movie. Yeah. But yeah, it yeah he just he vanishes after that moment, yeah. and it all becomes the the like F fifteen dogfight or whatever that doesn't make any damn sense. The the floaty jets. The floaty jets. Yeah. Floaty jet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for answering that question. I, I don't like it, but I now know what happened to him. Kinda. Any other cr- criticism we have for this movie? Um, not enough theremin. I could have used some theremin. I could have used like, some theremin. I mean, we've well, we can talk a little bit more about how just terrible they were to women. Oh yeah, They're, good lord. Yeah. Like, one named female character who doesn't really get any lines. Yeah, I was trying to think if they named. I know she's supposed to be Turl's secretary. I yeah, I genuinely can't remember if they Air actually. Air quotes in, around secretary. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I don't remember if they had named her or not, but just like yeah. that whole moment is so gratuitous. I tried to find an image of it for the for the Instagram post today, and Google said no. <laughs> it was like you dirty pervert. That's it. Yeah. You, you were on the works Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's how I got on a watch list. <laughs> oh, God. What was I searching today that I'm like, well, I'm on a watch list again. <laughs> oh, I was trying to, like, I'm writing my novel, and I was trying to look up high schools in the area. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I didn't go to school in Pittsburgh. So I'm like, what are the high schools around here? Searching Sexy Tongue Battlefield Earth Lady, followed by high schools in the area? <laughs> you no, know, so it's that combination that got you on a yes, list right there. Yeah. Like, the first one, you're just right. like, you know, you're thinking about moving, or you're looking at you're looking right. at the school districts right. in the area for your many children. Uh, <laughs> but, you no, know, as soon as you put that other church room in, there's somebody at the, somebody at the FBI <laughs> wait went, a minute. wait a minute. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Drazzled. We're going to do a thing. We're gonna to try to do a thing. We're gonna to try to fix Battlefield Earth, which I we we started with Wild Wild West, and that kind of went to my head. I'm like, oh yeah, this is no problem. We know how to fix bad movies, and then this movie happened. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Uh, we were originally gonna. So like when we first watched the movie, it was a fever dream. Like I don't remember anything um, other okay, than like, you do you want time. lunch? <laughs> Uh, like that's all I remember from the movie. Um, Jesus Christ. So like I rewatched it and then we were originally going to film last, I don't know, like Wednesday or whatever. Right. But then life happened for life shit being poor. You know how it is. Yeah. Which would have given me 48 hours to come up with a script fix. My dudes. Um, let me just say, I'm glad we got, I think it's a, a little bit like a, like a week. You've been warned. Uh, all right. All right, so a little tangent before we get into into it. Here's where we normally stick up for the uh, underappreciated crew, but I'm convinced that there was no crew, that the movie was literally farted into existence. So we're going to move on. Okay. Normally I do like a quote from like Neil Gaiman. Right, and like, right. I'm like, la la la, are, are, are so hard to make film. Don't be mean, but no, there you go. Sure. Earth. Um <laughs> Sometimes Sometimes we go. So we have a couple a couple rules that we stick to when we're rewriting these. Um, if the crew did not have access to it when they would have been making it, we don't get it. The degree of CGI that they would have had, we would have. Yeah. And we get two recastings. Two recastings. Two recastings. Accurate. And the fixed version has to maintain the general story arc, right? Which I, I, be, I bend a little yeah, bit. We, yeah, the, right. the, yeah. There's room to play around in that to to where I mean, like once once it's once it's listenable, check out what we did with with Wild Wild West. It gives you a good example. Yes, and that's it. <clears throat> so I know what my cast would look like. What does Yin's casts look like? Like who who you keeping? Who who you switching out? I mean, I'm keeping Forrest Whitaker 110%. I, oh, God. Like, part of me wants to keep John Travolta and see what he would do under a different director, perhaps. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think he's too, I think he's too deep in the, uh, in the, in, in the Scientology of I, it all, <laughs> perhaps. I have the same thing. But, uh, specifically, I say, like, movie wouldn't have happened without John Travolta. Yeah. But I do change his character a little bit. Okay. You're not going to be able to change him, so you have to write the character around him. So instead of having him be like, "Do you want lunch?" I change him into a like a 
big game hunter. He's like a narcissist. I mean, he is a narcissist in the film, but sure. he's that kind of like, he's an eccentric. <laughs> uh, even among other cyclos, he is, have, is it most dangerous game where the, the dude's yeah. like, I hunt man. Yes. Yeah. Man is in fact the most dangerous game. Yes. I would also limit his screen time, even if it meant shooting scenes with him that don't make it in the movie. Uh, Because he's like, I've written the, the, I am the main character. I'm like, no, John, you're not. We're going to film your scenes so that you are happy and can go back to your trailer. And then we're going to keep the scenes that are necessary for the film. And the example I use is Gary Oldman in either Fifth Element or The Professional. Where he's not on screen a whole lot, but he is A, fucking kooky as shit in both yeah. of those films. Oh, yeah. And whenever he's on screen, he's great. Incredibly memorable performance in both. Yeah. yeah. Every time I take my pills in the morning, I think of Gary Oldman. Because like, <laughs> um, that's how you take pills. Um, <laughs> so I would do that with John Travolta. Make him take pills like that? <laughs> yes. Do you want pills? <laughs> do you want pills? <laughs> No, but seriously, we're all heavily medicated. Um, I, so I wouldn't recast John. You know, I I really thought I'd recast Johnny, but either I didn't or I forgot to write it down. So you're in, Barry. The Barry Pepper stays Barry in. Pepper fucking slaps. Um, Barry Pepper. Yeah. Who I do recast is Chrissy. So, who, so I assume then she's going to have a different role in this version. Good, good. I did what I could with a week. I'll give you that. I'll, sure. I'll put if if it was like my script and my script solely, there would be way more of a evenly distributed of screen course. time. Yeah. Um. So sorry. Uh. I'm you know I'm not even gonna try to say her name. The form the actress who previously played Chrissy. Yeah. Sorry. She's like definitely more of a model, less of an actress. I'm gonna replace her with. And this is I don't know if this was like in my head when we were talking about Firefly over and over and over and over again. But Gina Torres. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Who, like, mostly did TV, still does TV, occasionally did features, but she would have been finishing up Matrix. What's the second one? Reloaded? Reloaded, yeah. yeah. And, like, rewrite Chrissy as, like, a no-nonsense rebel undercover in the Cyclo camp, uh, which Ooh. I think she she can play. I mean, that's Oh, she could just. kill that. Yeah. Absolutely. A couple, couple of production things. One, the score can only be songs that were put on the Voyager Golden Disc. Ooh. Yeah, that's a fun constriction. Oh, I, a restriction. Ooh. I like that. Ooh, chef's kiss. Mwah. Yeah, yeah, that's I, beautiful. <laughs> I've listened to maybe like half of it. There's a good variety. There's some weird yeah, shit. Yeah, there's, there's some, some weird shit on there for sure. But yeah, look up the, the Google the, the the playlist that's on the Voyager. Yeah. So yeah, you can just it's... listen to it and it's like interesting mix. Restrictions. Other restrictions yeah, I've put on the uh, the production. No, not a single fucking shot outside of the ship interiors only unless it is landed and it is practical do not show the outside of a ship or plane okay i want there to be permanent smog layering the sky people can read it as like fallout they can read it as like earth just no good no more but the practical purpose of it is to hide the limits of the cgi in the sense i like that Um, yeah and i am absolutely stealing that from silent hill I don't sure. know if it's the first two games. I, I know the very first game, the reason the fog, the smog, fog, haze, whatever. It exists. hides the way things load in. Yeah. 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 So thank you, Silent Hill. So uh, as I do, we're starting with a cold open, right? Johnny searches an abandoned mall for medicine to help his dying father. So that's staying the same. He finds medicine and starts back to his horse, who I've renamed Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> um, <laughs> when he hears gunfire, he 
comes out in just enough time to see Turl shooting the fleeing Arthur C. Clarke. No, Arthur C. Clarke, no! Yeah. So he's he shot. He's, he's done. Um, I wanted, I wanted to, like, um, like, inject totems into this film to, like, summon the great sci-fi writers. So Turl calls back to Kerr, giving him, like, a victory grunt, right? Like, we don't, we can't understand them yet. Okay. Uh, Turl is hunting with Kerr, who acts as a caddy. It's going well. Johnny screams from his position atop the parking garage. He takes a shot, an arrow fired, but narrowly misses. He retreats. Amused, Turl and Kerr give chase in their craft. To their amazement, Johnny holds his own against their ship, using his bow to cause a crack in the craft's viewport. Um, while this triggers the slightest air leak, it doesn't stop the cyclos, and it doesn't save Johnny. He is stripped, including his father's life-saving medicine, and tossed into the ship's hold. That's when and how we learn that they can't breathe oxygen. Okay. And change the avatar. A little bit. I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, not much. Just, like, cracking the glass of the alien thing. That's fine. Yeah. It's not, it's not that big of a thing. If anything, uh, Cameron's stealing from me. Because. <laughs> yes, you, Jack Culbertson, have invented the idea of cracking glass. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, that also puts our hero and our protagonist, again, like, immediately introduces them to one another. And it introduces us to the dynamic between Kerr and Turl. Whereas in the film, I think they were just like standing and yelling at some people. And Johnny just like runs into Turl's boot. Yeah. Because he's, he's when fleeing. He, when he tries to leave uh, the like the, the container they've been put into. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a little closer to the book. Okay. Opening credits roll over the funeral of Parson Tyler. So I've changed Ty- uh, Johnny's father to the Parson of the town. I don't think they mentioned that in the movie, but the town's kind of like overseen by a parson. This both sends Johnny into like questioning religion and his place in the world, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But in, in the scene, funerals happening. The clan sings like high wailing morning songs as parson, think like Darth Vader's body at the end of Return of the Jedi, like on a pyre fire, ashes fluttering up to the stars, uh, which I definitely didn't steal from the very end of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, we cut to Turl's office. He holds the golden disc, ex- uh, explaining its etchings. He talks to Kerr, explaining to him what it is. It's the disc, the golden disc, sent with the Voyager probe that first brought Cyclos to Earth. We-, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It promises riches, specifically gold, which there was, just not for Turl and not for Kerr. Walking through Turl's trophy room, Turk explains to Kerr that he believes that Johnny is the perfect man for this yet unexplained job. We focus on the etching of the man on the disc before cutting to Johnny being tossed into the cage with the others. Ooh, I like that transition a lot. Are they naked on the disc? On the I disc? I think, yeah, it's like Vitruvian Man. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think there's a man and a woman, but I'm not I sure. So, yeah. yeah, it's like Vitruvian Man and Vitruvian Woman. Johnny clamors to rid himself of the, his bindings. This includes a pair of hoses that connect to the port on the side of his neck, on, on the side of his throat, um, because fuck those awful shoestrings that they stick up their noses. Also, I kind of like the body horror aspect of it. That's just me. When he does this, he immediately begins to suffocate. It doesn't take Johnny but a moment to realize that this device is allowing him to breathe in his new environment. He reinserts the tubes. Uh, only then does he realize that the rest of the caged humans are staring at him too forlorn to help. He looks at this group of humans, noting not only that they're downtrodden, but also severely ill. More than a few show obvious signs of radiation poisoning. A mound covered in a cloth tells us the end result of this sickness. So they'll have radiation poisoning and yeah, sure. smelly old sack of bodies in the corner. Uh, Johnny wraps a cloth uh, around his waist to hide his wiener. Oh. <laughs> I know, if it was my movie, just wieners. Wieners just, everywhere. Just, uh, all the way down. <laughs> Yes, there we go. 
Women, fully clothed. Wieners, everywhere. Yes, please. Uh, he then shrinks into a corner for warmth. A cloaked figure watches from the shadows. Over the intercom, we hear an announcer summoning Turl to Planet Ship Numph's office, who we didn't mention in the summary, but he's just basically like Turl's boss. boss. Okay. Cutting to Numph's office, we see a conversation between Turl, the head of security, and Numph, the director of the facility. Numph is pissed that he's he was out hunting for days, right? Like, so he was out on this hunting trip. Uh, Numph tells Turl that because the home office has ordered further determent of cyclopayment, workers have begun to strike in a nearby mine. Numph tells Turl to prepare his troops to break in, break it up. Turl agrees, but before he can leave, Numph asks him how, how the training of Kerr is going. Turl says his replacement will be ready in time for his winter departure. So in the movie, we immediately learn he was supposed to be done on Earth. Everyone, all the, all the cyclists fucking hate Earth. Yeah. They think it's a shithole. Them and me both, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but her, like, doing to Senator's daughter, and that's not okay, I guess. In, in this, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave, like, come wintertime. It's going to be great. Kerr's being trained to uh, take over. Numph's grin implies otherwise. Cut to the mining camp outside the dome. This was once a city, but is now just an irradiated wasteland. Human workers are being offloaded with the purpose of mining this dangerous territory. Johnny, shackled to a chain gang, exits the transport craft only to be caught in the chaos of cyclo miners arguing with cyclo enforcers. So it's like Turl's goons making the workers go back to work. Sure. This is not at all relevant to current news. Um, note, the higher the rank of the cyclos, the more humanoid they look. Ah, yeah. okay, so, so, we're we're establ- so we're establishing a bit more of a hierarchy. Yeah. Caste and- system. Yeah. yeah. You probably see where I'm going with this. Yes. Uh, and Enforcer's overtaken, his croissant gun tumbling to Johnny's feet. Croissant It's gun. such a it, fucking it, stupid prop. It's a, yeah, it's a weird design And, like, choice. their thumbs don't really uh, wrap around it, so it's just like, <laughs> you guys really didn't think the costume department and the prop department did not no, communicate, it's the, fa- it's the fanciest of <laughs> it's weapons. Fa- it's just... My mm, pr- pr- croissant ping pong gun. Um, <laughs> Stupidest fucking lasers. Like, guys, Star Wars did cooler lasers in 1977 you can't tell me you just can't steal that i mean you stole a bunch of other shit anyway yep <laughs> uh and enforcer's overtaken his croissant gun tumbling to johnny's feet futzing with it johnny is eventually able to get it to fire freeing himself from his shackles further up the chain the cloaked figure watches johnny flee panics and runs after him she is able to redirect johnny from the certain doom of the endless irradiated mine shaft and towards the presumably empty transport vehicle except it's not and Johnny runs face first into Turl as he exits the craft. The cloak flaw, blah, 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 blah. the cloak falls from the cloaked figure, revealing Chrissy. She scurries away before being spotted. Turl snatches Johnny up by the neck, which is a thing that happens over and over and over again in the movie. Mm-hmm. After shooting down several workers, Turl re- regains control. He has the strike leader brought to him. He lectures him on how good he has it. Definitely did have this conversation at work. Uh, he asks if the workers <laughs> forgot what it what it used to be like before they had the man animals to mine the irradiated territory for them. He hands the strike leader a shovel and forces him into the mines. He's just beyond the reproach of light when his flesh begins to bubble and melt from his face. Turl has made his point. The workers return to work. Johnny, still held by, held by his neck, finally passes out. Whew. I like it. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. In, in the movie, I didn't really understand, like, Uranium's not great for anybody. No. So. Yeah, that was one of my first thoughts watching it. It was like, well, well, do you, you think humans are just like immune yeah. to a, to uranium? Yeah. So I wanted to like up the stakes. It's like, they're, no, they're, but like for real, like it just melts their flesh off their hairy faces. Yeah. All right. Turl instructs Kerr to have the humans retrieve the body of the strike leader. 
he wants the head sent to his office. But the rest can be loaded with the week's gold and sent to the warp pad. I forgot what that thing's fucking called, so I just kept calling it the warp pad. Um, sure, the that's fine. Yeah. I think pad, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the movie, it just takes the gold from Earth and it zip zop zoops the to the cyclo planet. I actually think it was zip zop zoop in the film. Oh, the zip zop zooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, we cut to the warp pad. We see the dejected faces of the worker class cyclos crushed by the loss of another cyclo who stood up to hurl Numph in the home office. Uh, Johnny awakens to the shock of being strapped to a chair, a red laser alternating between one eye, then the other, while images are flashed in the unlasered eye. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I wanted to do something a little bit more practical than swirly yellow beam of shit. You are learning. Um, Whatever. Yeah. A little bit more clockwork orange, a little less. Honestly, it reminded me that the thing the Riddler does in Batman Forever with a little like brain drain and like yep. shoots like a green beam. It is a little like that. Oh yeah. That would have been 95. Hmm. Stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Turl reveals himself to Johnny who quickly comes to understand what he's saying. Turl explains that he's teaching his primitive brain how to use cyclo equipment. He does this because he intends to have Johnny mine the gold that he found. Gold that happens... To be in a very irradiated city. Johnny speaks in Cyclo for the first time, refusing. Turl smiles, then flicks Johnny's head as though it were a bug. Johnny is knocked out unconscious. Johnny wakes to the sight of his village. Um, this is his, his like actual clan village. For a brief moment, he is relieved to be home. His friends and family come out to greet him. He calls out his, for his father, Parson Tyler. Their faces tell him that that is pointless because he is dead. Before they reach Johnny, their smiles turn to dread. Bullets train from the sky, tearing apart the village and the people in it. From behind Johnny, Turl tells him that he will stop the assault if Johnny agrees to work for him. Johnny agrees. Turl has Kerr round up the survivors, stating that, that you can never have too much leverage. An actual ah. use of the word that makes sense. I like that this is the first time that we're hearing you use yeah. it in this, uh, after this point as well. So, okay. Johnny is thrown back into his cell. He screams obscenities in Cyclo at Kerr. Chrissy is not only astonished to see that Johnny is still alive, but that he is also speaking Cyclo. She tells him not to lose hope. When he asks why, she signals to the rest of the Resistance to show themselves. These are the Scots. They attend to the wounded from Johnny's captured village. Chrissy asks Johnny what else they taught him. He looks up. She asks if he knows how to fly a transport hauler. He smiles. Turl, pleased with himself. Sits back and enjoys some Carbango. Carbango! Carbango! <laughs> Kerr tries to join into the celebration, excited by the riches that they'll soon share. Turl corrects him, telling him that his reward will be his promotion to head of security uh, once Turl has left this awful planet. Turl makes fun of Kerr for thinking he'd get any of the gold. Kerr is fucking bummed, but attempts to be grateful for what he's been given. Middle management. <laughs> Later, Johnny and uh, his crew are dropped off at the site. Turl commends him on choosing such a big, burly crew. These are the Scots. He informs Johnny that he'll return in a week uh, for the first load. Kerr will stay and supervise. Shortly after Turl leaves, Chrissy and Johnny slip away in one of the haulers. I'm thinking like a big, like, flat, like, floaty flatbed, flatbed truck. Returning to the dome, Turl is assaulted by the repeated messaging messages coming from the intercom. Stepping into Numph's office, he is told that they are to keep all workers away from the warp pad. Behind Numph, on several screens, we see images of cyclo miners warping to the cyclo homeworld and attempting to overthrow the government. Ooh. Mm. Fuck the man. 
uh, <laughs> Numf explains that the payment deferment was universal and not uh, not just their site, but that some mining colonies have been using the warp pads meant for gold to be warped to send up small militias. Hmm. It's not a serious problem yet, but it could become one. On this matter, Numf and Turl agree. His gold won't amount to much uh, on a planet overrun by workers. Chrissy and Johnny descend down a shaft. This leads them to the war room beneath the White House. There, Chrissy lets Johnny in on the resistance plan to nuke the fuck out of the dome. Johnny is resistant, saying that the reason things are the way that they are is because of radiation caused by nukes. Chrissy argues that Johnny's tribe is not the only one to be destroyed by cyclos. In fact, some tribes were wiped out entirely. Hmm. Her face tells us that hers was one of them. Johnny agrees to drive the hauler, the nukes hidden within the delivery of gold to Turl. She and the Scots will free the rest of the human slaves before the nuke goes off. But first, they need to retrieve the nukes. They take the, they get the nuke locations from the war room and not the Library of Congress. Although I think that they are listed in the fucking Library of Congress. Are they? I think the missile silo locations are. It wouldn't surprise me, I mean, because you need a shit-ass ton of security to get to, like, yeah. a Nike missile silo. Like, knowing yeah. the location isn't going to help you. When, like, yeah. there's, you know, armed guards and, like, reinforced doors. That's a good point. The, the main reason I changed it to the war room beneath the White House is, like, cinematically. No, yeah, much better. But you're not wrong, Elron. This time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Turl sits in his trophy room. He looks at the head of the strike leader mounted on his wall. Trophy room shit. He presses a button and summons all security staff to his office. Chrissy and Johnny arrive back at the mining area to discover that not only have the Scots uncovered the gold reserve, which is actually just Fort Knox buried un under Fallout, but also they've taken Kerr prisoner. They are only moments from cutting him open when Johnny stops them. He tells them that they are not animals. Kerr laughs, correcting Johnny, saying that they've always been animals. Johnny retorts that they won't be, not anymore. He sets Kerr free. The Scots are concerned that Kerr will go will get to Turl. But Johnny tells them that it won't matter by the time they by the time Kerr would reach him. A small group of men join Chrissy and Johnny to retrieve the nukes while the others haul the gold to the surface. Uh, like boring late second act shit. It it's what I call you ever see Lost? Yeah. It's called crossing the island shit. <laughs> like yeah. I just need my guys to get from that side of the island to the other side of the island. But you've set up some good relationship stuff here. I think yeah. like the, the idea that Kerr's life is being spared in this manner, I think, is pretty effective. And that's really the only way you can get over the like late second act hump is by having these relationships that you can have these like little beats. It's yeah. like character beat, character beat, character beat, little bit of plot to push it along. Sure. <laughs> uh, arriving back at, back to the dome, Kerr's astonished to discover the entire cyclo working class has been wiped out by Turl and his soldiers. Oh, oh, wow! Uh, Just so, eviscerate yeah. the proletariat, huh? What? <laughs> um, something I didn't mention. I was going to mention earlier was. So you were saying, one of you was saying that John Travolta was like up here the whole time, like just kooky from the start. Yep. Whereas in the book, he starts out, he's goofy, but he goes like legit ass insane as the book goes on. There's reasons for it that make sense in the book that they don't bring to the movie. Naturally. He, he suspects that like the home office is in all, like caught wind of his shit. I think he kills Numph. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I wanted to like bring a little bit of that back and also justify John Travolta's crazy fucking acting. Yeah, I, I think that, I think... I think that's a good call. <laughs> so soldiers kill off the working class. These were to be Kerr's men once he was put in charge. 
Turl informs Kerr that he'll be returning home sooner than planned and that nothing will get in his way. They head to the gold, uh, the gold site Fort Knox where uh, Johnny and Johnny and Scott's are. Mm-hmm. By the time they arrive, the hauler is sitting, loaded, and ready to go. Turl tells Johnny to get into the hauler. He will be driving. He instructs Kerr to kill the rest. Turl and Johnny, Johnny drive off. Kerr looks at the croissant in his hand. I'm not sure he can do it. Eats it. He eats it. <laughs> he puts some butter on the croissant and eats it. As they drive back to the dome, Turl gloats about his plan. It is obvious to Johnny that Turl has gone crazy. This is confirmed upon their arrival. Numf is restrained by Turl's troops. Turl tells them that they can release him. The old man tells Turl that he was right to kill off the workers. Simpering, he says that it is better to be rich in hell than to be poor in paradise. Numf crosses to the gold on the on the hauler, places a hand on it. Turl asks uh, him to explain. Numf informs him that their home world has fallen. The workers have seized control. As he says this, his nose begins to bleed. Turl crosses to the gold before violently pushing gold bars away. He discovers the nuke underneath. Rather than being angry, Turl is ecstatic. If it wasn't clear that he's lost his mind before, it's evident now. He tells Numf that he's right. Better to be rich in hell. He tells his men to strap Numf to the nuke gold bomb hauler and fire up the warp pad. He's going to send the nuke to the traders back home. Ooh, fuck. Johnny... Knowing that the people Turl intends to kill are just workers like him, decides he must stop the nuke from going off. That's when the Scots, led by Chrissy and followed by Kerr, arrive on horseback. There are no fucking jets in this fucking movie. Excellent. <laughs> you couldn't afford it before, and you did it bad. Only horses. I hate horses. You, I was going to say, the fact that you of all people are putting horses into this movie willfully. Are the is... other ones named uh, Isaac Asimov and Robert A. Heinlein? Because they need to be. One of them's Alistair Crowley, actually. <laughs> um, I, I think I didn't go with Isaac Asimov, but there's more. Keep in mind, I did immediately kill the first horse that I saw. You did, yeah. Yeah, you know, you you, you got. I know you got you got your your horse murder bloodlust <laughs> yes. sated early on. Unless you unless unless you were not sated, I, I can't remember. So we'll find out together. All right, here um, we go. R.I.P. Arthur C. Clarke, the horse. <laughs> no. uh, they arrive having already freed the slaves. Um, they collide with Turl's stormtroopers, who don't stand a chance against those numbers. Before Turl has time to react, Johnny has climbed back into the hauler and is driving it away from the warp pad and the dome. Turl gives chase in the same craft he initially used to confront Johnny. Turl fires Johnny at the nuke, sending bars of gold flying across the city ruins. Finally, mercifully, Johnny sees the means of his escape on the horizon. He aims a holler at the entrance of the mine, the same irradiated mine he was forced to work in at the beginning of the movie. As planned, the holler enters the mine perfectly, creating half a mile through its dark innards before inevitably crashing. Badly hurt, Johnny climbs from the wreck. He's certain he'll die, but at least the nuke is somewhere Turl can't get to, uh, can never get it. That's when Johnny hears metal scraping rock. It's Turl using his immense strength to push the holler aside. Terrified that Turl will try to retrieve the nuke, Johnny crawls towards the lumbering beast, now close enough to the flaming wreck to see Turl. Turl, already feeling the effects of radiation, isn't trying to get to the nuke, but Johnny. His eyes bleed, his tongue has turned to jelly. Only rage pushes him onward. Uh, thankfully, for Johnny, it's not enough. 
coming within inches inches of Johnny Goodbye Tyler, Turtle collapses, his body succumbing to the effects of radiation. Johnny resigns himself to death, but as the fire dims, Chrissy is heard calling his name. We cut to Johnny's village, mostly repaired, occupied with the remnants of his tribe, former slaves, the Scots, and a smattering of cyclos. This is not unlike the real ending of Return of the Jedi, just with like less helmet drums and... <laughs> but the same amount of Lando Calrissian dancing in the corner. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, you didn't know you're adding Billy D, uh, Billy D. Williams to this movie. We can only get him for one scene, but yeah. I mean, that's the scene right there. <laughs> well played. Uh, when Chrissy remarks to Johnny that they have a lot of work to do before humans, and more importantly, Earth can recover, Johnny tells her that he's not worried, that they have help from beyond the stars. We cut to the warp pad as several working class cyclos beam down to join the celebration. They are greeted by Kerr, who passes around hugs and Carbango. With their mutual overlords dethroned, Johnny and all of humanity are free to have hope again, not only for Earth, but for the stars beyond. All right. Snaps for that. Hell yeah. Post credits. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh no. Oh. Tilting up to the night sky, Gene Roddenberry's face forms with the help of the stars. Uh, Gene Roddenberry constellation literally punches a nearby L. Ron Hubbard constellation <laughs> into stardust. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> Fuck you, Elron Hubbard. Oh my piece god. Of shit. Th- th- thoughts, fellas. Um, so you've completely eliminated the influence of Scientology in this, I think. To, or, well, maybe not completely. I think the it it does it definitely doesn't carry the same. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about Scientology to give a thorough analysis of that side of it. But yeah. I, I, I think that you've taken it in a distinctly different direction that, like, to where it, it would be far enough from those beliefs and that structure. You humanize the cyclos. Yeah. I, so, like, there was one of two ways I could either rework this. Either I could rework it and stay loyal to the spirit of Scientology and hate myself, or I could say, fuck you, L. Ron Hubbard, you piece of shit. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Psychology <laughs> is the only thing that keeps me alive every day to face this hellhole. Fuck you. This version. I like this one. Yeah, no, I, there's so much more cohesion in this. I think, like, just the the uh, like the the character dynamics, I think, are clearer. There's mm-hmm. not like the the um, the nature of the the hierarchical struggle mm-hmm. or the class struggle within the cyclos themselves. I think is more pertinent. Um, <sighs> I feel like there is that is like an element in the book too. It's just not really explored because that's not something that Orlando Hubbard cares about. Right. Yeah. Like there definitely were some class struggles. Um, so it's it, it while it's it's new, but it, it I think it has a truism there that like if only the cyclos could struggle, yeah, they could overcome their masters. The cyclo one percent. I. <laughs> so like I said earlier, we were originally going to sh- like. I watched it in like 48 hours we're gonna record it well in that additional time and this might be a little too real but the news of what the Frito-Lay workers were were dealing with oh yeah um, that news came out and pissed me the fuck off (laughs) my job is not anywhere even close to what they go through yeah but I, I definitely deal with like some bullshit at work that uh, why aren't why don't you love it here you should be happy to have this job 
where you sweat and stink in the card boots. Uh, but, <laughs> but like having that come out, and, and for those who don't know, um, Free to lay workers. I, I, there was a, it was a specific plant. I can't remember. I'm not sure. Washington was, area, maybe somewhere in like the Midwest. Or, yeah, I think it, it was okay. more Midwestern. They're headquartered in Dallas, I believe. So they were some workers hadn't had time off in what months, right? Yeah, like they were forced to work like suicide shifts. Well, yeah, twelve hour yeah. shifts. Uh, Kansas, it's Kansas. Thank you. So forced to work, you know, twelve mandatory overtime. Come yeah. come in on a day off. Don't don't give each other. And pe- people's hearts were giving out. Yeah. yeah, like they, someone died on the line and they just like dragged them away yeah. rather than like stopping at the line. Yeah, literally like, just pulled them yeah, away like, to, and yeah, I mean, the temperatures that we've been having this summer, on top of the fact that this is a goddamn potato chip factory. Yeah. So, like, there's like fryers and shit. It's hard to breathe with the yeah. grease in the air. This is mm-hmm. speaking from like working in restaurants before. Right. Let alone like a massive factory that only yeah. fries shit. Yeah. Yeah, just. Yeah. So. Little guy getting screwed. My, I mean, that's where my politics kind of lean in anyway but you didn't tell me this was a socialist podcast <laughs> I quit <laughs> but yeah having having heard that news I was like well can't get this out of my head fuck you L. Ron Hubbard even though I don't know what your <laughs> specific political leanings are alright so we um, we did a, we did a fix Whew. and now comes the hard questions what do you think of our derazzled version what do you think its Rotten Tomato score would be? Its IMDb score? I will not be offended because I was working with shit. I was polishing a turd. Like I, th- I think you've at the very least gotten this to like middle of the road science fiction movie. Like I think, yeah. I honestly, I think the soundtrack thing is what like gets it over the hump from like mid <laughs> yeah. to like yeah. The soundtrack choice is yeah. such a fucking yeah, cool yeah. Like, choice. Like that, I think, like you know, um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, like having that like yeah, soundtrack, yeah, like that really just like places it in a, in a really cool way so i think cool. you know it, yeah it's not going to be like the best science fiction movie of you know no. the, the 2000s or whatever but like it's just it's solid like you know maybe you get a sequel no, <laughs> no, <please> no. <laughs> uh, so yeah i'm looking for scores yeah i th- i think i think that like just story-wise and like and given my own politics i think probably you know i'm probably leaning a little bit a bit more like my user score would be a little uh-huh. like toward like an eight <laughs> i think but I, th- I think that 7.5 that you're that, that you're that you're mentioning here would be apt okay. I, th- I think the greater cohesion in the narrative the paring down of of uh Unfil- of unfilmable or unrealistically filmable shots and CGI. Yeah. The uh, and the sound the soundtrack thing is just so fucking good. Mm-hmm. I like it. It really feels. Uh, I, I feel like it would have garnered a much much higher score there. So to go, to go from a two point five to a seven point five seems fair. It's real good. Yeah. As we talked about on Wild Wild West, basically anything above a six I'll watch. Yeah. Yeah. IMDb wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's Rotten Tomatoes score? Do you think? Weirdly, still a three. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. harsh over there. <laughs> just... Again, I don't know that it would be fresh, but maybe it's all like just, just the ghost under. of Gene Siskel, and he's really pissed. Now, I think uh, Rotten Tomatoes score. I think I could see sixty-five to seventy percent. Okay, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know, certain you know forty-seven percent of the audience. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Socialism. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was trying to think of like Temple of Doom, right? Yeah. Indiana Temple of Doom, like. Technically, that's the workers overthrowing, this is also true, but and like not once did I watch as a ch- child and was like, ah, socialism. That's, that's what true. I want. You're right, you're right. 
Um, like it's not something I would throw in people's faces. Like yeah. the cyclos are so vile on their own that I think most people are going to be happy to see them fuck right off. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. I think yeah, I think you're you're on the edge of fresh. I think like, and again, I think yeah. like the soundtrack, man. Like that's that's the idea. Yeah. That's yeah. just such a great stylistic thing. I, I I love that shit. That's like that's some Edgar Wright bullshit that I just like would eat up. Like mm. the, seriously, go go listen to it. It's got such a variety of, of music on it. Yeah, you have like of course you have like the classical music, but of then you course. have like pop stuff from like various countries. So you're like, huh, don't know where I put this in the movie, but <laughs> all right, Let's have have some fun with it. Yeah, for me, I feel like if this were a movie on, does TBS even exist anymore? Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. If if I were like fourteen, fifteen, and this was like a movie on at ten, maybe eleven o'clock at night on TBS, this would be my shit. I would definitely like, get real close to TV so my parents didn't know I was up and watch it. <laughs> um, I would definitely buy this DVD out of like the Walmart five dollar bin. Oh, excellent. Um, maybe even the seven fifty. Ooh, yeah. big spender. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but only if they have a bunch of special features. I mean, yeah. See, that's that's the yeah. that's kind of the gambit that the or the gamble that you run into whenever you're getting mm-hmm. into those bins. Mm-hmm. Is a lot of them have no features. Bare bones. They're yeah. bare bones. Just the film. Just give me like one commentary, and not by a fucking producer. No, specifically by Jackson Hammer and Doc pa- and or Jackson <laughs> Every Public and Doc Hammer movie. <laughs> if you ever want to hate yourselves, listen to this the audio uh, commentary f- for Ghostbusters. Oh, really? With specifically the producer who's like, yeah, we got that location over there. It was real nice. Don't remember? Hey, remember that lion? We paid for that lion. The statue? I'm like, I think it's like <laughs> Dan Ackward's just like, I hate <laughs> That was awful, my voice. <laughs> I, yeah, it sounded rough. Um, it didn't help. It's read like 17 pages. There is that. All right, fellas. Um, <coughs> yeah. All right. Steve, where can people find you? What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Excuse me for a second. I'm going to die. <laughs> All right. No, no more producer voice for the rest of the podcast. So uh, folks can uh, find me at least uh, between August 13th and August 22nd uh, of this year, year of our Lord 2021 uh, <laughs> at uh, Portals on Pen. It's a, uh, we're doing a theater thing. Uh, so this is Big Storm uh, Performance Company. Uh, but we're doing it's free. Um, so it's COVID safe uh, art. Uh, so folks will, um, uh, so you, we do ask the folks to get a ticket. It's portals on pen, uh, P-E-N-N dot B-P-T dot M-E. Uh, and so grab your ticket, um, show up at the first location, um, little theater bites, uh, five minute things, COVID safe, uh, and then, uh, proceed along down the street, uh, through these various things. So that Sweet. is, uh, portals on pen, portals on pen, P-E-N-N dot B-P-T dot M-E. That's Sweet. cool as hell. Yeah, uh, it sounds August cool. August 13th uh, through August 12th, <coughs> so uh, on the uh, weekends. Uh, Beautiful. I miss theater. Yeah. Same. <laughs> theater, theater's good. Theater's good. Joe. Theater's good, bud. I know. I love theater. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell. It's just, well, it's just coming up out of you here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just... <laughs> I think the ghost of that producer's haunting me. <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> Make fun of me, will you? <laughs> Joe, where can people fa- find? Where can people haunt you? Uh, if you <laughs> people can haunt me at uh, at uh, uh, at JM Nealis on Instagram. Uh, I don't post a whole lot, but I do sometimes post some art stuff that I'm working on, and uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll post some stuff promoting some of the stuff we're doing with this. Um, oh. 
Nice. And, uh... Yeah, that's about it. You can find me uh, on the socials as dullboy underscore Jack. Um, you can find the live streaming street live screaming. <laughs> if you just poke your head out the window and listen closely, you can hear the live screams every night <laughs> every at around night. 9 p.m. Uh, you can find uh, the live... You're a little bit late on that tonight. <laughs> Shema, oh, my voice is fucked already too. That's true. Um, saw so screaming I did last night. Uh, you, you can find the live streams at Twitch and on YouTube, uh, Facebook and Instagram. You can subscribe to the Derazzle podcast, where the thing is that you are currently listening to. Because how the fuck else did you get here? I've always wondered that. Steve, would you? Would you? Um, <clears throat> when I point to you, would you read this word? And don't forget to subscribe to Drazzled on the thing that you're touching right now. We promise to... Razzle Dazzle ya! Yeah, we will. There it is. <laughs> really, really making good use of that theater degree. 